0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the fourth episode of the podcast, which we are now officially naming Taps and Patience." I am AJ with Design the Everything, and this is my co-host, Harrison, with Precision Ingenuity. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So I was at IMTS this week, and I have lots of things to talk about, so we should do that second. Let's start with, with talking about what you have going on. Okay, well, for
1: starters, when we get into the IMTS stuff, I'm going to be very jealous because I really, really, really wanted to go. (laughs) Just didn't work out this year, but hopefully next time. Uh, For me, um, stuff's been going good. We had a pretty big order of uh, 500 pieces that came through uh, a week or two ago, and we we chewed our way through all those. Um, People are starting to find us on our gun-related items, so we had a gentleman who dropped off six rifles that all need to be, um, have the barrels threaded on the ends of them. And so that is somewhat terrifying because if anything goes wrong, then we get to buy a whole bunch of barrels for guns. So, (laughs) so we've been dreading and preparing for that. Um, so we've had to buy a whole lot of equipment because apparently when they, uh, you know, I'm not a, a major gun person. Like I've always enjoyed guns and grown up with guns, but I've never really been a big person that did gunsmithing and took guns apart. But um, apparently taking off barrels off of the action, which is what the barrels thread into, that's what a lot of them are called, um, it's quite an ordeal. And so we've had to Mm -hmm. order some specialized tooling to get that done. Um, So hopefully we'll be doing that tomorrow. Um, So fingers crossed on that um had some design work from a guy down in Miami Florida and so been kind of chewing through that with him kind of an interesting design project um had some local work that uh, from a someone we've done a little bit of work for but they sent us a little bit of a larger order than they normally have and so that's kind of exciting and then it and then at the last minute they wanted to rush it so my weekend and uh, all of today was spent running around like a chicken with its head cut off trying to get that done. So okay, um, let's see here. What else? Um, our laser engraving stuff has really been picking up like crazy. Um, we actually had this guy who came in. And if you look at our Instagram, you can see it. It's really cool. Um, he makes uh, he hand makes duck calls. And he, he heard about us through another machine shop that we did work with. And so he came out and he brought this super cool duck call and it had this aluminum band on it. And I guess his customer who he was making it for had shot, uh, I don't know if it was a duck or a dove or something that had an arm, had a a band around its foot. And he wanted that engraved into the duck call. Hmm. And when we got it, we're looking at this thing and it's, it's, engraved all the way around we're like oh man this is super cool like where'd you get this and the guy's like well i actually make them i was like oh that's so cool and turns out the one that we were about to engrave was a thousand dollar custom job gosh and this guy is like one of the number one duck collars in the nation like makers of duck collars and so we're just gonna like you hand engraved all of this stuff. And he's like, yeah, he's like, that took me about 20 hours of just sitting there with a uh, die grinder, just hand grinding it down. And I was just like blown away. Like you need to, you need to go look at it on Instagram. Cause that guy made that all on his own and it is just so cool. Um, and that's on your precision ingenuity Instagram account. Yeah. That's, that's on my precision ingenuity Instagram account. Yeah. So yeah, that guy, he is, uh, I I was extremely impressed. And then when I started looking through his Instagram account of some other stuff that he did, I was just like, oh, my goodness. Um, And so. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who do see the video, there's a a teaser of it. It's not going to be as good as if you go look at it, but. Um, yeah, no, he hand, he hand engraved all of that stuff. And what's cool is he's got some ideas of some things that he might want to do. And so we might be able to collaborate with him in the future. Um, cause I think he wants to bring a little bit of machining into his products a little bit more than what he has done so far. So I'm, I'm excited and hope that we are able to collaborate with him on that. Cause he's got some, some crazy skill and what he's able to do. And I love I love meeting people with talent and that kind of have their own small businesses that make things that are kind of niche because there's so many small worlds out there of of different products, which, uh, which kind of brings me onto a slight tangent. Speaking of projects and and niche th- items, how's that Kickstarter of yours going?
0: Well, let's look at where it is right now. Uh I mean, the answers pretty well. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm thrilled with the results. Okay, I'm at $14,590. um which I can tell you is about 400 carabiners and I still have 17 days left. That is awesome. I am I'm so excited to see you doing as well as you
1: are. I I really am. Um have you been doing a lot of the ad stuff has like I know that's kind of been a kind of a continuing topic about ads and things. Have you come to any conclusions so far?
0: So I'm working on it. Um, What I know is that of the sales that Google Analytics tracks, about a third of them are coming from advertising. However, it is only tracking at this point, maybe 15%, maybe 20% of my total sales. Like just so much of that information gets past it. And it's working. I'm then working from a really small sample size. So... I don't know if like that number is representative of all of the sales that I'm getting or not. Gotcha. Um, so it's hard to tell what I'm doing now is I'm going to like leave ads on for a couple of days and then turn them off for a couple of days and then turn them on for a couple of days. And just to see if there's a difference in the rate of sales that I'm getting. Gotcha. So that's yeah.
1: Well, I mean, okay. So if, 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 Advertising is not contributing as much as you think it is, then what would you consider to be your reason for so much more success on this one prior to previous ones?
0: So the most backed Kickstarter reward is $25 Mm -hmm. and these carabiners are sitting at $30. So that's part of it is it's a like it's appealing like the, the price point is very impulse buyable for the market. Um, gotcha. Also, my product photography from Adam C is fantastic, and I have a um, my cover image is just like this nice, beautiful array of very bright carabiners, mm-hmm. and it's it's very eye catching. So I think it it plays well in search and on the um, the homepage. I'm not on like the how do I word it? I'm not on everybody's homepage, but everybody gets their own recommended products on Kickstarter. And I can tell that a lot of my sales are coming from. Yeah. 15% of my sales are from Kickstarter recommending me on that one. That's awesome. And then another, another 14% are coming from search, which is either, um, or excuse me, advanced discovery, which is separate from search. So that is, um, people looking for recommendations. So basically at least thirty percent of my sales are coming from Kickstarter. Uh, that's awesome. I will take glass. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I mean that's awesome because you don't have to you don't have to pay for those. That's kind of free advertising, isn't it? Yep.
0: Well I mean I'm paying eight well, percent of my revenue to Kickstarter but
1: totally yes. worth it <laughs> yeah. yeah free free in the sense of it's not any additional extra like you you yes. know where that where that money's going and where that money came from so
0: yeah um and I don't know if you figure that about the another third of that is coming from ads which may or may not be true and then the last third would be driven from Instagram and mm-hmm. YouTube so I don't know I guess that would be about accurate yeah that's awesome. Sounds, it sounds like it could be true. <laughs> yep, yep.
1: Um, so back to um, my week. Um, we have started putting everything up on our uh, Etsy page, and so we've okay. started to have some sales trickling in from that, which is nice. really nice to see. So I'm excited about that, and <laughs> so um, we have an event coming up locally. It's the first year they're doing it. And I'm kind of looking forward to it. We got a booth for it. It's called the testicle festival. (laughs) (laughs) I I know it is the funniest sounding name, Mm. but um, they've been advertising it like crazy. And it's just some sort of like outdoor, um, you know, guy centric, crazy, like shenanigans. They have so many events. There's going to be so many people at this thing, but we're gonna get a booth, and while we're not gonna be able to sell any gun-related items, one thing that mm-hmm. I think we'll do massive is, is we're thinking about bringing our laser and doing like five uh-huh. or ten dollar uh, engravings on people's tumblers, and I think okay. that that'll go nuts and get our name out there like crazy. So, and that's coming up uh, late October, so about a month away. Okay. So, so we're Let's we're looking. For- yeah I know, I know it is the they have so many yeah. funny like events um and i i apologize for any viewers who are offended by that but it is it is the funniest thing
0: that's fair so, my mom is probably listening sorry mom i i apologize so you, you, you gotta go where the people are
1: <laughs>
0: oh gosh
1: so, but we we kind of found that out whenever we were doing our, um, when we got, did our gun booth. Uh, we went to the gun show here recently. They kind of gave us a brochure of all the stuff and they were telling us that that one's going to be like, they've been advertising that one the most in the area and it's going to be like one of the biggest ones for this year. And so they said, if you want to get your name out, that's really where you need to be. So we're going to try to do it. Yep. <laughs> so... Um, so what about IMTS?
0: You want to tell us a little bit about that? Okay, I feel like I need to tell this as a story because a lot a lot happened.
1: Okay. Um,
0: so I was I was planning. I did end up going with my whole family. Uh, we mm-hmm. used it as kind of an excuse for a little mini vacation. and granted, out of the days that I was up there, like three of them, you know, two of them I would be at IMTS, and one of them I was working for a day job. Remotely, so like they went off on their own and did Chicago stuff for three days, and then we, you know, spent one day doing um, family stuff. We went to the one of the Lake Michigan beaches and hung out there. Anyway, so we were supposed to leave Tuesday evening, and we started getting everything ready. You know, started getting stuff put in the car, and I was going to go fill it up with gas before we left. I went to start the car to go get gas and I turned on the air conditioning and it just smelled like death. Like it was like borderline unlivable in the car. And turns out a little mousy at some point got into the car, crawled up into the cabin air filter and got stuck and died. Oh,
1: no, (laughs) that's not good.
0: So it it took us a while to find it. It took me a while to find it. I was like just kind of sticking my shop vac everywhere, just seeing if I could suck something up. And eventually I started like watching YouTube videos about the different like AC parts of the car and like how to get to the filter. And eventually I figured out where the cabin air filter was, and which you had to take off the glove compartment to get to. <laughs> and yep, sure enough, right on top of it, a little dead mousey sitting there looking at me. Sorry.
1: So I was just going to break in a quick second in the middle of your story because I had some appliances break at my house too. My dryer went Did out, you? so. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. But we, we ended up getting it fixed, but it was the week of of things going out, it sounds like,
0: because anyways, sorry, I've interrupted your story. <laughs> There's a display on our microwave also went out, which was <laughs> annoying. Anyway, <laughs> so. Excuse me as I fix my headphones. Okay. mm so, finally get that that smell sorted out. And like uh I went to go get gas and to go get a new air filter to kind of hopefully get some of the remnants of the smell out of there. And during that process, I just started feeling sick and awful and like my like I started getting a headache and I was dizzy and like started getting like chills and I I was worried that I would not be able to drive home after getting the the air filter. Like I almost called my wife oh, to no. pick me up. And I ended up making it home obviously. And I just got home and went to bed. And like we were supposed to be leaving at this point. But I just felt oh, no. so awful. Like I was kind of on the edge of of throwing up and like chills and I had like a 103 degree fever.
1: That's um, not good.
0: I I don't remember ever getting sick this hard and like it putting me down, you know, like in bed, unable to Mm -hmm. do anything. And so I, I slept for like 16 hours straight. And then in the morning, like I was kind of feeling all right. Um, And so we still packed up the car and left, I don't know, around noon or so, maybe a little bit before noon. And my wife drove us up to, to Chicago. We had an Airbnb up there. Um, and I basically just, you know, pop Tylenols a couple times to make sure if I had Mm -hmm. any fever left, it stayed down and to to combat a headache. But really, after that, I was fine. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was food. I mean, I didn't eat the mouse like it couldn't have been the mouse. (laughs) Yeah, I I have to assume it was like food poisoning or something. Yeah, it just dropped me. And then and then afterwards, I was fine again, (laughs) except now that I'm stuffy. But I think that's unrelated. So I that just kind of threw off my entire week. And instead of getting all of Wednesday at IMTS, I got there around three where there was a instant machinist meetup. And that was awesome. There were so many people there who I only knew by like their hands and Instagram tag. because like that's mm-hmm. all you see on Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to shout out names because I'm going to forget half of them and offend the other half. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, I gotta meet John Saunders. Um
1: it was great to Kern with
0: too, so I gotta see a Kern. Grimsmo was at IMTS. I think he was even at the Instant Machinist meetup, but I never actually like got a chance to to go say hi. Oh really? So back before Grimsmo got
1: as big as he is, when he was still kind of in the growing stage, I had a couple of friends that were big knife nuts and they actually uh-huh. got to meet him because he was at a gun he was at a knife show. I think it was in Vegas, or something. probably Blade yeah, Show, sure. or yeah, Blade Show. I think is when it was, and and they actually went and got to go meet him, and they had some photos taken with him. So I was like super jealous of that. But
0: <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of other people got to to see him, but I did not. I, I think it was just wrong place, wrong time, and yeah. So um, what about the currents? You got to look at those. At the the Kern? Mm-hmm. Is that what you said. I I did. I didn't like you go dig in an electrical cabinet or anything. It's a, it's a really pretty machine, but it does look just about like any other five axis machine. Does um, it look
1: bigger or smaller in person than on video after watching
0: different videos with them? The one they had there felt small, but it did not have the, you know, a row of pallet changer. Like I'm used to seeing in the Grimsmo videos. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but anyway, so instant machines meet up. I met a whole bunch of people. And I showed John Saunders my carabiner, Mm -hmm. and he went, thank you. And he looked so thankful, and he just stuck it in his pocket. And I was like, oh, that was the only one that I have with me. Uh, Apparently, I'm giving this to you now. Oh, no. (laughs) So John Saunders kind of stole a carabiner (laughs) 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 because he thought I was giving it to him. Um, But like, I didn't have the heart to say, like no no you can just look at that i need that back because he looked so yeah. appreciative and like looked down at it, thankfully and it's like now, okay i guess you can have it <laughs> now hopefully you got to talk with him a little bit hopefully you didn't just like see him in passing and be like hey look at this carabiner and then he was like oh cool and then walked off <laughs> we for like five minutes or something there was a group of us That's i didn't great. really have much to say like hey i watch yeah. your videos <laughs> yeah Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the carabiner was actually like my crutch for the night. And unfortunately that was pretty late. Cause like the, like here's a group of people socialize is not my element, but being able to go yeah. up to machinists and be like, Hey, look, see that I made this. It's kind of cool. It flexes. Um, yeah, that was enough of a, of an icebreaker to help me articulate. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, that's still really cool. Did you, uh, Meet any of the the guys from um, Taps or um, what was it? Uh, With Intolerance, any of those guys?
0: Um, I waved at Dylan, mm-hmm. Proteam Machinian. I don't think we ever actually had a conversation. I think we said hi. Uh, I also saw the oh, what was his name? the The guy who was originally on the podcast, he had, did oh. the Lego business. Yeah, yeah, I saw him, but again, didn't uh, really talk to um, him. Brick Tactical um yeah brick tactical yeah so yeah i kind of wanted to say so hi strange. to him but he was i'm, kind of I'm book
1: names i'm sorry brick tactical i do enjoy your stuff <laughs>
0: i have the same problem <laughs> uh, now did you
1: hang out with any guys and kind of tour in a group with anyone
0: so after that me uh foot pedal jones and fidget things went and w- walked around and we mostly looked at like the willman's and then the new pocket nc and then a, another company you've probably seen on Instagram called Level or LaVille. Or I, I don't Level. think I've seen anything on them. Um, They're a cool company. But it, I really enjoyed walking around with those two. They were like way more knowledgeable on machines. So being able mm-hmm. to just kind of like let them talk to the sales guys was uh, yeah. very educational. I, I talk some with fidget things, um, you know, probably next
1: to you. He's probably the next guy that I talk the most to on Instagram was it f- I, was it fun hanging out with him in person he's someone that I always yeah, thought would be fun to bring on the podcast he was
0: we could probably do that he was a great guy he was a lot more buff than I was expecting I don't know why I'd always kind of imagined him as like a kind of tall skinny like more nerdy guy who makes vintage mm-hmm. things but no <laughs> he's a big guy yeah um and then foot pedal Jones works for Tormach and he's the guy yeah. that I always come to when I have weird issues like uh, my mm. crash that we should also talk about I forgot about that. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. so I, I enjoyed meeting those two in, in person and we got along, you know, really well right off the bat. That's good.
1: I think it's always nice uh, when you can travel in, in groups on on stuff like that because they people can kind of fill in for everyone else's lack of knowledge. Someone might be knowledgeable in some bro- an area over here <laughs> and someone else over here. So
0: it's kind of nice. Yep. On the second day I was there, which was Friday, I skipped Thursday to work remotely Uh, on Friday in the morning, I hung out with the Surven Solutions guys, Mm -hmm. and that was that was cool. I enjoyed catching up with them. And then a couple hours with uh, actually one of my Patreon members named uh, Denzel. Uh, I met him at the Instant Machinist meetup, but I felt guilty for kind of like saying hi and then running. podcasts are terrible for people with allergies
1: yeah yeah no no worries i didn't i didn't know what to say i was gonna try to fill the (laughs) fill the silence but i
0: I, I didn't have anything your co-host here dripping boogers maybe we shouldn't put out the video on this one (laughs) yeah yeah. just put a warning on the front (laughs) yeah anyway so i hung out with denzel for i don't know probably like three or four hours Mm-hmm. um and he was fun to talk to because he's a much more you know experienced machinist than i am mm-hmm. uh and then the last part of the show i was on my own which was also kind of fun in its own way yeah how how big's the place like from your like pretty massive it, it is 33 acres wow of trade show floor like it is, is it huge is it all under one roof or is it broken into separate buildings there are four different buildings uh with some of which with multiple floors wow i think i saw a post on the zometry booth did you stop by there you know i saw it and like didn't really what was i going to say like hey i may be a partner someday like i already know about <laughs> zometry i don't know what else i would do it'd just be interesting to actually meet someone in person who worked there and i think
1: they had a a, a battle robot in front of their booth that they had done parts for that.
0: And that would yeah. be enough to draw me over there to take a look at it at least. Yeah. Hypershock was there. Just the, the battle bot. Um, the thing you don't understand is that every booth is like that. There's always, oh, something, really? yeah, there's, you know, Fanic arms moving cars around and stuff.
1: Sounds like it'd a, be a kid in a candy yeah. shop.
0: It is very much kid in candy shop the whole time you're there. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: So the Pocket NC, what what'd you think of that one? That was another one that kind of interests me.
0: So that, it's just such a clean little, like, small machine. Mm-hmm. And it's about the size of a refrigerator when it's on its stand.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The, the thing that surprised me is it actually is a fairly, like, it's not a very deep machine. It's, it's mm-hmm. mostly electrical cabinet and not a whole lot between the door and the you know, back mm-hmm. of the machine. But it's really neatly put together. It all looks super polished. They had some um, coolant issues there, and it flooded their electrical box, which kept the machine from running for most of the show.
1: Oh, no, that's not good. Yeah. Um, Now, um, they were making your carabiner, so did you get a chance to
0: take a look at them and compare them to what you've been doing? Yes, I did. So I I was able to get one that they made at the show, which is super cool. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It, it's actually kind of funny because I gave them my old school design, which had the really long slot going through, mm-hmm. and I ended up changing my design to be easier to machine because I was getting warping, and mm-hmm. you know that's where I got my modern like skeletalized design. Mm-hmm. They went through a lot of the same process uh, in a, a parallel path, and it's funny because if you look at their carabiner, theirs has almost the exact same slot that mine does now. Uh, really. Yeah, except they changed it. Oh, how do I explain this? Basically, there was a decorative slot, uh, and then like before the flexure, and then there was like the, the flexure slot. Mm-hmm. And they just made the decorative slot a lot longer and the flexure sh- slot shorter. And it, it almost exactly matches mine. Oh, so, wow. It's a uh, parallel engineering there. That's just cool. Getting the same place with different starting points.
1: Mm hmm did they make any announcements as to when they're going to make them available and when they're going to go live to sell?
0: I don't think they know yet. They were talking about beta units next year, um, which I call dibs on one. No, so <laughs> I'll, I'll hopefully get to play with one.
1: Yeah. Now, um, I think I remember you mentioning something else about the Haas UMC 350. I, I, after you mentioned that, I haven't seen anywhere online anything about that. So, what's that about?
0: So that was announced at IMTS. Yeah,
1: yeah I was kind of the, figured.
0: The debut, or debut. Um, it is basically one of their DT or DM machines with the Trunnion in it.
1: Hmm. Oh, that's um, cool. That sounds like it'd be like super popular.
0: Yeah, I. I don't know. I. It, it's a five, small five axis. Like that's it's exactly yeah. what you would expect. Uh, no more, no less. Like it yeah. looks nice to me, especially if you don't have much floor space. Yeah,
1: that's well, as a guy who's has a very small shop and dreams about putting bigger machines than I, my shop can fit, I've drawn to the smaller machines and I'm always interested to see, um, you know, the smaller five axis stuff now. Yeah. I think whenever the the week before IMTS, um, you asked me if there was anything that you could look at there for me, and I said cobots. So how were the cobots there?
0: So I have a confession. I had lots right? of expectations going into IMTS and plans on things I was going to do, like record a YouTube <laughs> video, mm-hmm. and. I did nothing. None of them. <laughs> um, I, I got there and I just focused on like basically. I just focused on things that I needed for my carabiners. Mm-hmm. So, so
1: on that note, what did you find? Seems like you didn't find my cobot stuff. Did you find anything to
0: help out with your carabiners? Well, in terms of cobots, I learned there is lots of them, and they're basically all the same price point now. Oh, really? So, I think at this point, it's basically choose choose your de- jelly bean cobot.
1: Oh, well, that's good to know. Um, I think I haven't really looked at very many. Uarm has kind of been in the game the longest. Well, maybe not the longest, but they're very popular. And I've looked at some of their pricing. And I mean, you can get into one for cheaper than what I got my Haas for, for like some stuff. So it's definitely in striking
0: range of possibilities if I can get the right kind of work. People seem to like the FANUC ones. I know oh, Pocket really? N C or excuse me, I should call them Penta Machine Co. They had issues with uh UR robots and they ended up switching to, to all fanic. And they okay. like those better.
1: Now their whole Pocket NC Pro, I guess is is that what they're calling it? Is the is they the, call it the Solo, which the nobody's Solo.
0: gonna call it, but they can try. Okay.
1: Well the Solo, um it's designed with an interchangeable pallet system, correct?
0: Yes. And that was actually one of the things I spent a long time looking at. It's uh, a Shunk system, mm-hmm. and so I went over to the Shunk booth and you know looked at all their accessories and stuff.
1: What, what was your opinions on it after looking at it in person? The Shunk,
0: the the Shunk stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like top tier. Um, okay, it's all super high end. Their vices are like pol- like hardened and polished everywhere. They're immaculate. They had a lot of automation stuff, um, both in terms of pallet loading and part loading. The Vero system that the Pocket NC has on it is is very slick. They had a couple of different accessories for it. It's, you know, very compact, very accurate. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm sure there are things that are are, you know, close or higher end, more accurate if you really wanted to look for them, but you'd be hard pressed to find something. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, that's 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 another one of those aspects about the the solo that um, I find very fascinating. If I, you know, if I were ever to go down that route, I would love to have that just because it's pretty much already set up for automation by all counts.
0: That I think it'll be a basically perfect machine for me especially once we get automation rolling, assuming I have the, the volume to support it mm-hmm. is because it can just, it, it does one and done parts. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you get a, a finished part, you know, maybe you have to do a, a simple op on the back to remove a tab or whatever. But if you design mm-hmm. your part right, you don't need to do that necessarily. Or you can just tumble it to death like I do.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: And then, and then like you can fit a lot of them in a small space without very much power And they will fit through my garage door, which not many other machines do because it's a very low garage door. So, so speaking of size
1: and power requirements, um, are those 110 machines or 220 machines? And, um, and like, what all did, what all are they planning on coming with? Like, are they kind of come on a stand? Are they going to have different versions? Because that's another thing that I've always kind of wondered looking at them was they always look like they were on a table.
0: And so I didn't know if they're gonna be on the table or if they going to so, they're gonna be freestanding. So they are working on that. One of the things they said is they can't run it past twenty percent rapids on that table, otherwise it starts to to wobble. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna do a um he said an epoxy granite table and really add a lot of mass to to dampen the system. And then also add, you know, chip management down below and stuff. A bigger cooler What are they tank? doing right now for chip management? Is they just going into like a five-gallon bucket or something? <laughs> they, they have a little basket that sits underneath the trunnion. <laughs> it's, it's fine, but I would very much not like to run a machine with that as the only chip removal option. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, funny. It, yeah. It, it had a cute little like one-gallon tank with like a little strainer underneath it. <laughs> um,
1: hey, whatever you got to do. I mean, I know they, they kind of sprinted to the finish line to get it ready for IMTS, so... The fact that they had it there and they had stuff that was working, even if it was only part
0: of the time, is an impressive achievement. So
1: so that's exciting.
0: Um, But yeah, 220 single phase. I didn't ask about how many amps, but it can't be that much. Yeah. Do you know Um, how many horsepower the spindle is? Ooh, I don't know that. I know it is like a 40K RPM Mm -hmm. spindle. Um, HSK 25E, if I remember right. Okay. That's pretty cool. Uh, I think it was about 16 tools in an ATC. And they were looking at a different spindle that had a skinnier nose, which let them get, I think, up to 30 tools in that little... Oh, wow. Or they had. That'd be cool. So that, yeah. Especially when you start having robots and stuff.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome because that... The more tools you have and the ability to switch things out, it's, it's so cool what you can do. Yep. So, um, not all of us can have a a kern with over 200 tools, but that's yeah. going to be our baby kern.
0: I think. Yeah, the pocket kern. <laughs> pocket kern. <laughs> that's what they should have called it, the pocket kern. <laughs> so, that, uh, the, that was cool the, to see. Po- pocket Pocket kernel. That way it's not quite kernel. (laughs) (laughs) So I talked about the the level machines and you, you should, you should look at these. Um, I guess I'll just send you the link afterwards. It's like L E V I L I believe, or L I V E L maybe. Okay. Anyway, they make um, machines kind of in the same form factor. Oh really? And they have a machine that's about the same size. It's kind of refrigerator sized. But it is a mill turn. Oh. And so is it like it, a baby Williman? Uh sort of, except it doesn't have a bar feeder.
1: Oh, that'd be cool if it did.
0: So and it, it's just a really cool machine. The problem is they are not nearly as as polished as Pocket NC. Like the hardware is arguably like stouter. Mm-hmm. And like it can do more cause it's, you know, a mill turn and not just a, a, a five axis, but like their, I don't know. Their, their software was not there. Like they have their own controller, which is the mm-hmm. only one that'll run single phase. And I think with that, you get down to like 70 K on it. Um, But like it couldn't do five axis simultaneous. And like, it couldn't do tool center point control and, it was it sounded like it was pretty limited on code processing that's not good, yeah, or you could step up to a um a big boy fanic controller and get all that stuff, but then you're limited to where you had to have three phase and also it was way more expensive and also you know fanic, yeah, which some yeah. people like some people don't, but
1: that's true it's uh, there's definitely people that they you either love it or you hate it, there's not really much room in between. Mm-hmm. At least yeah. from what I've, I've seen. <laughs> so
0: Pocket N C has a really slick controller. And granted, it is on a um, a browser based controller. Is it a BeagleBone like their their smaller machine
1: or something similar um, to that?
0: The computer in the in the new machine is not just the same Beagle, BeagleBone, no. But it's running the same software. Okay. So Are-
1: are they gonna ship with like a a little console
0: like what he had um for it's like out on the arm? I don't know. He they just had an iPad sitting there, which again, one of the cool things about their controller is it's browser based, which means you can use it on anything with an internet browser. And That's, it doesn't actually go through the internet. Like you you're just plugging into the machine. Mm-hmm. Um but then you open Chrome and you go to, you know, one nine two dot one six eight dot whatever dot whatever. Um And their new controller is all touchscreen based. You can still use the keyboard and stuff, uh, but it's, it's really slick and it'll do things like, um, like while it's cutting, you can adjust surface speed Mm -hmm. and instead of just um, instead of just RPM, you can adjust surface speed and instead of, instead of adjusting um, feed rate You can, yeah, instead of adjusting inches per minute, you can adjust feed per tooth. That is
1: one of my biggest complaints about some of this stuff that is like whenever you're adjusting those things, it's like, I don't know what my feed rate or my surface footage (laughs) is or my inch per minute. Like, I don't know. All that gets thrown out the window as soon as you start adjusting those knobs, you're just kind of guessing at that point. So that is, that is a very pleasant thing to hear. Um. So moving away from IMTS for a minute, you mentioned something a little bit ago that I'm kind of curious about now.
0: So I I kind of had, we'll call it a soft crash with my mill. Okay. What so happened? let's go back two weeks to so we where we were talking about salami slicing meeples. Uh-huh. Do you remember what issue I was having with salami slicing meeples? Um, I,
1: I think you were throwing them all across your machine. Is that the one or are you talking about a different issue?
0: No, that actually, they they stayed put pretty well. I was having issues where on the third meeple down on my bar, for whatever reason, it would vibrate my tool setter and cause it to trigger. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's ringing the bell now. Yep. My solution to this was to unplug tool setter and put a little foam hat that I, just a piece of foam that I had laying around. I put a little hat on it. Mm Mm-hmm. And the purpose of that hat was to remind me that I had unplugged the tool setter so that that would be a visual signal to me when I went to set a tool that I um, had unplugged the tool setter. I feel like I see where, see where the story is going. <laughs> that hat did not stay on the tool setter when I was cleaning my machine one day and it fell off and I went, oh, I should put that back on. And then I did not. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so then a couple of days later, I go to set a tool. And you know i I put it in i I hit go, I turn around to go get the next one, and I just hear crunch, <laughs> oh no, and I uh very much crunched a it was a one sixteenth inch ball mill, so I guess it could have been worse, but just pulverized that thing oh, and by the time no. I got turned around to it the you know the the collet nut had firmly planted itself all the way down the the tool setter mm-hmm um Do i did e to... stop it before it before it uh aired out so oh that's like it didn't crash as hard as it could have yeah
1: that's um is everything else fine like did you hurt anything so the tool
0: is very much broken um apart from the that, tools that are, the the mill is fine like nothing in the mechanics of the mill are hurt as far as it's convinced Convinced it drilled a really hard hole. Um, okay. Positive or a Z crash is the best kind of crash.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: Um, the tool setter, I think, is fine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I um I went and I touched off a a tool to see how much it changed, and mm-hmm. it changed by like seventy five thou, if I remember right, under a oh. hundred thou but like a pretty significant change. Yeah. And, but I, I, you know, reprobed that tool 10 times and every time it was within like whatever the minimum unit is on the tor Tormach. I don't remember if it's a 10th or whatever, but did you scratch the surface or, or damage the surface of your tool setter? That yes, that's probably the most major casualty is there right in the middle of it. There is a kind of big, chipped area um, probably about an eighth inch across which is the diameter of the tool which would make sense
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, however I was able to take a stone which didn't cut the carbide but it made sure there were no burrs on top so mm-hmm. all of the damage is below the surface not like sticking up above and I, I've been able to touch tools off just like off center gotcha so gotcha. it's That's definitely awesome. on my re- on your reorder list? It it's definitely on my reorder list. Um unfortunately this was one that came with my uh first Tormach, and it was before they switched to their nicer version of it. So like I ruined a, a two hundred dollar tool, not a you know, thirteen hundred dollar one. Well that's always nice. It's um, nice if it never happens,
1: but it's yeah, always nice when the blow doesn't hurt as bad as it could have.
0: But I, I reset it off with my, um, like I redid the spindle touch off thingy where you're mm-hmm. setting your, your zero mm-hmm. and all of my tools were like five thou off of where they should have been after doing that. So I just reset all of my tools and it's, I mean, it's making perfectly good parts. The That's only thing is important. I forgot to reset my probe. And so my probe has been a little bit off in Z. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't, it hasn't come that back. That makes to sense. So, Well, so yeah, <laughs> probably should get a new tool setter just to be sure. Uh, yeah, but we,
1: we, we ran into an interesting error on our lathe today while running this What's that? rush job. So <clears throat> on the Haas machines and, you know, it's funny because I've always heard this said about Haas machines. Um, you know, Haas might rate it as a 20 horse machine, but what they're doing is they have a 10 horse motor that they're, or 15 horse motor that they're um, overloading to get it up to that 20 horse rating. Yep. Um, and I don't know if that's true or not, but I could I could kind of see it.
0: Um, does that too.
1: Yeah, because um, what was happening today was I had a really small stainless steel part, less than an inch in diameter, and I was making a hundred of them, and it had a lot of small features on the surface. So it was constantly ramping up and ramping down with the constant surface footage turned on. Uh, Yeah. And so the cut was really light, but it was in, you know, it was going from like 3000 to 3500 to like 2500 and very short bursts. And so just the mass of the whole system was keeping it up in that uh, 100 to 200% spindle power range, even though we weren't using anywhere near that. It was just the inertia of speeding up and slowing down the the giant um chuck yeah and um we kept have about once every 15 minutes or so the machine would trip and say that the spindle motor has been overloaded and it would just Mm. and then it would sit there and just um freewheel the main spindle and it'd take like a minute or two for it to like come to a complete stop where you could reset everything and yeah. That was the most annoying part of it was that it would be like, you overloaded your spindle. So make sure that, you know, change this, this, and this. And, and then, um, and it, yeah, it's just sitting there like winding down. It's just like, <laughs> can you like put on the brake or like, is there anything <laughs> I can do to like stop this thing? Cause it's just sitting here just spinning forever. So, um, one thing I do think, and, and I wonder, I haven't really heard anyone ever talk about this, but, um, we got a three jaw hydraulic chuck on it, kind of what it mm-hmm. comes with from the factory. We'd like to switch it to a royal collet system. Yep. And um I'm wondering if those seem to be a lot smaller diameter. Um, and that one of the advantages that we have if we ever do go to that is right now we have um boring bars every other tool holder. And okay. we have to go every other tool holder because if you go every tool holder with like boring bars and drill bits and things um, they'll crash into the three jaw. Cause it's an eight inch yep. um, uh, spindle and the spacing between your boring bars is larger than that. But when you go to yeah. a collet system, like the Royal collet system, it shrinks that down to about four inches or five inches in diameter instead of eight inches. And so then you can stick tools next to each other and they won't crash. So I'm wondering if, not only will it get the benefit of being able to use more tool holders, but will will take a lot of the mass of that larger um, spindle out of the equation to make it just run that run faster. Like, I wonder if I'll get faster cycle times, and it'll be using less power.
0: So that's that's interesting because that you're right. That's not something that people talk about, except maybe like the difference between a BT thirty and a you know BT forty mil or whatever a cap forty mil
1: but I have never really oh. heard anyone talk about it in relation to like a lathe.
0: Yeah. Physics are physics. And like, there's a lot of energy in that Chuck. Yeah,
1: there is. That thing's huge and heavy. So I wonder if I go to a and, and I think the Royal college systems, if I remember right, the outer housing, I think is aluminum and it's like, a, it might, it might not be, but I feel like it's an aluminum housing, with like a steel liners on the inside that are actually machined. And so that might even reduce more weight. I could be wrong mm-hmm. on that. Um, there was something I thought I read about that. But maybe maybe I'm not maybe I'm just full of full of junk on that. Like there <laughs> it might not be. Oh, teacher maybe this family friendly. Um maybe it's maybe I'm just full of it. Um but I feel like I remember seeing something. And maybe it wasn't um royal. I'll have to do some research on that. But anyways, regardless, just being a smaller diameter, going from um I th- it's eight inches, and I think the Royal Cult system we were looking at was like four point six inches in diameter. So you're like almost cutting it in half. That's yeah. got to remove a lot of inertia out of the system as a whole. Yeah, I, I
0: would think so. It's at the very not. least, it would fix your, I think, your overpower issues.
1: Yeah, and that's not something that happens very often. Um, and f- like I've honestly only ever had it happen like one time before but this part was just one that had so many weird features that were all like stacked up really close together um it was it was a it's a three-quarter inch part that we were machining out of a half inch part or half inch round or three-quarter of an inch part that we were machining out of a one inch uh, stainless steel bar and it was about an inch long and it had six different diameters in that Mm. about an inch range yeah, and so of different lengths and features. And so it was quickly adjusting as it's moving from one end to the other, um, rather rapidly. And so it was putting a lot of load on our machine. So did you find a a fix or a workaround
0: or did you just deal with it?
1: We just dealt with it because it, it it happens sporadically. Um, I think we tried slowing it down a little bit, but I mean, it was just—it was constantly ramping up and ramping down, and it was like there's not much we can do to fix that if we want to, unless we want to add like a minute or two to our cycle time. And I'd much rather just have the machine just error out because nothing's breaking, nothing's happening. The only thing it does is you get to wait for the the um, <laughs> spindle to wind down, which can be annoying. But other than that, it wasn't hurting anything.
0: Back when I had a lathe, I just ran everything at max speed.
1: Yeah, well, we've already got it limited. <laughs> See, it's a four thousand, it's a four thousand RPM machine, and we've already got it software limited to thirty five hundred. Um, okay, just because when it gets to that that last five hundred RPM is um, terrifying, and it doesn't gain you too much. And and that last five hundred RPM will actually dim the lights at the shop. Oh, um, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was another reason that we did that so that we didn't have major power, power fluctuations um in the building as a whole. Um, now
0: if you got the Royal, do you think that would still be the same way or do you think you'd be comfortable going down? <laughs> uh we, we might be comfortable opening up the RPMs if it wasn't didn't
1: have as much mass cuz you can just hear it whenever it's it's trying to speed up or slow down. You can and you can just watch that it'll peg the needle at 200% spindle load or more. Huh um and that's what the empty like i've taken everything off of it and just had it be no parts no nothing just the spindle on its own and had it ramp up to four thousand rpm and, and and ramp down and it it pegs the spindle and takes a minute for it to get there just because of how much mass it's it's moving and that's with no bars no nothing on it uh, did you get too big of a chuck should you have gotten a, that's, a six that's inch instead it. of an eight inch or whatever you, I didn't have a choice. I mean, if I don't remember having a choice on that on the Hassel, and I think it's just factory what it comes with. Interesting. Uh, and that might be part of the reason people always say that Hassel overrates their machines is because they're putting a an eight inch chuck on a machine that you know might not have the horsepower to handle it on its own, let alone with parts in there. If you're trying yeah. to quick, quickly ramp up and ramp down depending on what you're doing. So, and I could see that it's also quite a loud machine. Um, You know, I go to um, a local shop and they just have Mazaks everywhere. That's all they run is Mazak. And it is so much quieter. And I don't, I don't, it doesn't sound like those machines are getting pushed as hard as my machine when I tell it to go zero to 4,000 versus when I hear theirs. It's a lot quieter. It just sounds a lot more controlled. Um, So I totally understand why people um would look at the Haas and go, yeah, that's, you know. it's it's not as powerful as they claim it is and you know yeah um so in in that respect i totally understand but for us it's a major step up from the tormox so like i'm not complaining in the slightest because i can i can i can compete and sometimes out compete um some of these other guys around here just because it's capable of it um and if i'm smart with my programming and tool buying.
0: Yeah. So. so at least I'm in the ballpark now. <laughs> in terms of quiet machines, the quietest machine I have ever seen was the uh, one of the Willies at IMTS. We were oh, standing really? there looking at it running, and I thought it was air cutting until it spat out a finished part. Like oh really. really- It was so dead quiet. Also, there was, um, you know, full pressure oil blast. So it's not like you could see what was happening. But yeah, I I thought it was air cutting and then it was spitting out parts. It was like, oh, that that's actually doing a pretty significant amount of work. It was also a dual spindle Williman, which was super cool. That is cool. So on.
1: At IMTS, when they're spitting out, when the, the places that are spitting out actual parts Do they let people walk off with those parts, or like what do they do with
0: them? I I think that's the idea generally. Yes. Okay, Um, that'd be cool. Like a lot of places make things like the carabiner that's like actually a cool part, or like a bottle opener, or Mm -hmm. somewhere they were making a little tiny vise, like a two inch you know long functional vise. That may have actually been Willman. I I don't know. I only ever saw one in pictures. Um, That's cool. But the parts they were making on that Wilman were just like, you know, gibberish, pseudo medical parts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, which okay, yeah, be, you can get a cool which piece would still of be brass. Cool but, to have. Yeah. So
1: now, um, Kern, they, they I, I never did get you broken carbide. And for that, I'm yeah. sorry. But what were they doing? What were they machining out of broken carbide for everyone?
0: Did I think they were just anything? machining the top off. Is that it? I think I so. They were mach- I thought they were going to machine something into it. do not. I didn't pay enough attention. I, Kerns are cool, but like, we're not my priority for the show. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: I, I'm the guy that would like to go to like the shop room of like a, a supercar place and I'll just sit there and ask the salesman all these questions, knowing full and well that I am not going yeah. to be able to afford anything like that probably in my lifetime. But
0: <laughs> I, that's a little bit how I felt when I was in the shunk booth. Um, <laughs> I also was in the Rego fix booth for a while but that's because i i know somebody who works there oh that's um, a cool
1: system I'd, I'd like to learn more about it at some point
0: the uh, er call it the RegoFix? fix yeah you mean the power grip yeah the power grip Re- yeah, RegoFix fix one. invented the er call it
1: oh, oh no i was talking about their yeah. their uh power grip where it's like a yeah, the the hydraulic, hydraulic press thing the power grip was cool yeah is it cost is it uh cost competitive with uh shrink fitting
0: no <laughs> is it it's way more way They're more expensive yeah yeah I, I i'm sure the unit is probably cost competitive with a shrink fit unit but the holders are significant more like i yeah I, i'm sure well i don't know big what are they big to they might have more expensive holders than power grip mm-hmm. um the power grip is expensive and high end
1: yeah, but the advantage of it is it's a collared system, so you don't have to buy, in theory, as many holders. Um, yes. because you can just switch out the call it's like an ER. You
0: also so. just don't have to worry about run out. Like the run out's always perfect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I haven't really dealt with much yet, but I'm sure it's something that I should pay more attention to. But same.
0: <laughs> I just kind of stick my head in a hole and ignore it. Yeah. Well, it's, and for me, I kind of look at it, my
1: my Tormach, I think I tried to measure it at one point. Um, I stuck a holder in there and I stuck a gauge up in there. And I think I had like a a half a thou of run out or something like that. And mm-hmm. and I was like, man, you know, I could try to get my tools on center, but I, I don't think that. Even if I got them on center, I'm still going to have if I'm if I'm that particular like I'm still going to have issues with this spindle, so it's probably not worth my time plus I'm not running any parts that are like remotely need that kind of um concentricity so yeah.
0: I I stuck an indicator on the taper of mine when I first got it and even with a uh, Mitutoyo 10th indicator I couldn't measure any run out um, yeah as far as it my indicator been the holder. Yes. Because I just, so I just I think all the need... air comes from the holders.
1: Yeah. So that's that's a valid point. I don't I don't think I put it on the actual taper of the machine. I should probably try that and see if I measure. And I also have I don't really have a very good like noka stand and indicator as I figure it out on my lathe, but <laughs> I tried to find find the center on a couple of those holders. Um so I need I do need to invest in some better measuring equipment in the long run.
0: I have a good indicator, but a crappy stand. Yeah. See, I have crappy both. (laughs) So uh,
1: I would like to get something nicer in the near future. But let's see here. What else we got? Um, What's
0: the rest of your week looking like now that you're back? So I have a lot of catch up to do. I need to the big thing for me right now that's you know the thing immediately in front of me is I'm making a pry bar as an add-on item for my Kickstarter that has been requested by many people. And I think okay. it'll, you know, make a thousand dollars or whatever in sales. Hey. I have that designed. I did a prototype before IMTS and I wasn't happy with it. That's actually when I broke my tool setter. But I still got the parts <laughs> made. <laughs> and now I've redesigned it to hopefully be more comfortable in the hands. My other one was just too short and it was like, you know, Mm -hmm. pry. So this (laughs) one's still skinny and lightweight, but, you know, reasonably long. Need to get that done and those will go. I need to make about 15 of those and get those into the prototype of the month boxes for my Patreons so that they can give me feedback on them before the campaign ends. Just so that, you know, I know I have a good product before. I start shipping them to people.
1: Yeah, that's that sounds like something
0: that you're running out of time fast on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that there's a big time crunch on is I'm going to get the carabiner testing robot back up on a live stream. This time on YouTube, where I can do it for indefinite periods instead of Instagram, where I had to restart it every four hours. And... There is a new site that I am blanking on the name of right now that somebody on the Instagram or in the Instant machinist Discord thinks that I will be able to get on if I um, do that live stream. Like I can, I can submit myself to them for their review. A Hackaday, it's Hackaday. Oh, okay, cool. So they think they they have a company. They've been on on Hackaday like a number of times to promote themselves. And like, I think if we have the story about the carabiner testing robot being live streamed, that that'll mm-hmm. that'll get me on there and hopefully pick me up some more traffic. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about getting eyeballs. Yep. So, so my first publicity stunt. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Depending on how successful it could spawn a whole a whole thing.
0: Yeah. My so. carabiner testing robot business. Man, there people were angry when I stopped that test. Every really? like. I got probably 10 messages. Like, why did you stop it? Keep it going. The carabiner hasn't failed yet. What are you doing? (laughs) Like so many people like very concerned about this, this test. So I need to bring it back. So that,
1: that gives me courage because I've, I think I mentioned this before. I don't remember if I did or not, but one thing that I think would be really fun to do would be because we do the gun related stuff. Um, Slide milling, man, there is so many people that have so many questions about slide milling and like the integrity of the gun after you've done cutting on the slide of the gun. And -hmm. so one of the things that I really want to do, it's kind of similar to your robot testing, is I want to um, machine it away and try to get it as light as possible and try to get it to the point where it physically fails. At that point, I obviously do not want to be holding it, but... (laughs) But I'd like to stick it up on like a test stand and pull the trigger from quite a ways away and see it malfunction and either blow up or, um, you know, just become unreliable to shoot. And just try to figure out how much weight can you take out and which components are actually important to the function of the gut. Because there there is a lot of mass in those. And honestly, I've been thinking about it from an engineering perspective. I don't know how much you know about guns, um, but for like your Glocks or your your polymer based guns in general, mm-hmm. they have a barrel and the barrel has um is what actually is holding in the the bullet assembly yep. itself. And so all the pressure is contained within the barrel and that and that um I'm I may be machining guns, but I have not figured out all the gun terminology yet. (laughs) But anyways, the uh, wherever that whatever you call that section, the chamber section of the of the barrel, all of your pressures are housed within that. And so I don't feel like anything forward of that on the gun really matters. All it is, therefore, is to hold the barrel and to give you something to grab onto. And so the only part that of the actual slide that is seeing the force is the rear of it where it's hitting the primer. Cause that's actually pushing back against your slide. Yeah. But everything forward of that, I feel like doesn't do anything except keep your, keep your barrel in the gun. Like now calling out of the gun.
0: Would you run into issues with um like shell ejection where you're like, is the amount of, is the amount of exhaust that's being used to push that slide back tuned to the mass of the slide? Y- yes, from the
1: research that I've seen. And people sell different strength springs to compensate if you get a slide that is too light. And so that's that's probably more of what I'll see. But I want to know, you know, what's that threshold? You know, if I take a slide and I, I can't tell you what they weigh because I haven't done any of this research thoroughly. I've just thought about this idea. But if, you know, I think they weigh, let's say, 100 grams or 120 grams, and let's say I take 20% of that weight out, does, does anything happen? 30%, 40%. Like, how light can I get it before it starts having issues? Like, I did some slide cutting on, on my pistol, and I shot it for the first time here recently, and it functioned fine. And, you know, I don't know how much weight I took out of it. I don't think it was much, but, you know, it... it gets you thinking like what are the limits like what are the points of failure that you need to look out for especially if i'm going to start offering this to more people and if more people get interested i I want to know so that i can inform my customer and i think a video on that subject would be entertaining for me and for everyone else who goes down that path
0: yeah um personally i would not do a video of it failing like ever Uh, I I wouldn't want that out on the internet because people just associate your name with the gun exploding. I would say
1: yes, but I would also say no because um, there's a guy and I can't remember his YouTube channel. And I, I haven't watched a ton of his stuff, but he's super popular. He does 3d printed gun stuff and his stuff always fails. And but he like goes, you know, he's like on version like ten or twenty or something like that, trying to get the 3D print stuff to not fail. And so I feel like even if it did fail, it gives you like if I can go to my customer and be like, hey, listen, I've taken this thing to failure in like all these different modes, trying to figure it out. That way I can guarantee that this product is like you would never want to drive a car that had never been crash test. Let's be honest. Yes. <laughs> so I guess in showing that video I'm showing you like I'm not going to do this to your gun but this is what I'm showing you to to show that I've figured it out that way you won't run into these issues but these are the issues you could run
0: into um at these different points. So I'm not saying don't do the testing. I'm saying think carefully before you post it on social media.
1: I don't know, that kind of stuff gets clicks though. I feel like that would like a gun blowing up is like, like how many, like there's so many gun videos that go
0: popular just because like, Oh, a gun's blowing up. What's going on? <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah. But see, that's what people remember is the gun blowing up and all the, mm-hmm. the anti-gun people are like, look at how dangerous it is. Yeah. You shouldn't be allowed to modify guns. It should be illegal. Nah. See how dangerous it is. Look, this one exploded. If that was in your kid's <laughs> hand, it would have taken off his head. Yeah, but I tried to explode that one.
1: <laughs> that yes, was But,
0: but like, I, uh, that's I, not going to be clear on the Channel Six News when yeah, yeah. you know they show the well, two second clip and they're gonna know. they're gonna those
1: types of people and, and individuals out there they're gonna say that kind of stuff regardless if I make a video or not. I mean, they're they're looking for things to complain about, and you know, I can't, I can't. They're not my customer. My customer is not a person who's going to look at that video and go, oh, this is unsafe. I'm going to blog about it, create a story about it, and like go tell the world that you know this is the most dangerous thing known to mankind. My customer is the kind of customer who's going to look at that and go, man, that guy is dedicated to his task. He's, he's trying to figure out everything to make sure that I don't have any issues, and he's also making it enjoyable and educating me on the process as well. Like that's the kind of customer I want in the long run. So I'm not, I'm not even going to try to make like my point of making that video is not to try to convert people. It's more to educate, entertain. And, um, and if someone finds that fascinating and would like that done, I've answered questions for them.
0: The way I would fix that is I would make sure that this shows up too, if it's cropped, but I would put text directly underneath the gun. Uh, throughout the video that says this is, you know, an intentional test on a closed course. We were mm-hmm. testing to failure. Yeah. I think that's yeah. how you fix it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like Stop Mythbusters. Ingenuity.com. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean,
1: I, I'm just, I'm trying to do budget Mythbusters over here. That's that's, <laughs> that's the goal. Because, I mean, they, they blew up stuff all the time. And um, it was all for science. I mean, that was the whole, that was the whole spiel. And it was one of the most popular shows and ran for a long time so yeah. so there's i think there's a market for it
0: um and i no, and i would I, just, I, I agree
1: i think it'd be fun but that's a that's a story I, or a a video i've had brewing um that i'd like to like to do at some point although we don't really post to youtube very much at like ever but i'd like to do that at some point down the road when i get time that yeah. magical word that we never have
0: <laughs> I have like three YouTube videos recorded right now that just need to be edited. Hmm. I'll get there eventually. <laughs> it's a lot of work and you know, um,
1: I'm sure you're just like me and that all of your free time you have scheduled for something right now. So yep. it's, it's, it's hard to, to try to fix things. And you know, if, if I ever get to the point where we get enough business that I can, buy things like a robot and then free up time, I'd love to start making some videos of stuff. And I think it'd be a a ton of fun.
0: Yep. Um, so I know you're a Mike Michalowicz fan. Have you read clockwork? Um,
1: I started it a while back and, um, I haven't, I haven't dived into that one right yet because so far it's just me and one other person and there's a lot of free time. So we haven't really run into an issue where, um,
0: that book I think is directed towards. I I just finished it. And to be fair, I, I have to agree. It's not my favorite of his, but I think mostly because at this point I've read all of his other books and they all kind of cross over. And so at this point it's like, yeah, I've, I've, I've read most of this. I've heard most of this, um, but he brings up good points about like the, he basically breaks down the actions of a business into, I think he calls them like the four D's and you need to be like 80% doing uh oh wonder it's like 80% doing, eight percent delegating, and I feel like I've lost a D here, but like two percent uh I think he calls it dreaming. Yeah. I have somehow lost an entire category. Oh, deciding. It was like eight yeah. percent deciding, some percent delegating, some percent uh dreaming which is like working on the business instead of in the business yep, yep. and mm-hmm. then so much doing yeah No, that
1: that sounds about right the problem is is that right now it's just me and one other person and so that de- delegating task is is pretty challenging because it's just me yeah and him. for you it's probably even worse it's like i'm gonna delegate this to myself <laughs> yeah <laughs> see here let me check my schedule okay i'm to <laughs> that that
0: <laughs> so yeah well, you know, you say that, but like, you know, I have my buddy Scott Deruby, who I send graphic design stuff to. I have Adam C., who I send product photography to. Um, I, guess that's I, true. I just um, sent a message the other day to a guy I used to work with at Chick-fil-A who does video editing. Um, and actually, my buddy Scott may do some of that for me, too. So, like, as as a solo business like i almost said business owner but like no i am the business Mm -hmm. um like you can still delegate by by sending it off to to freelancers and contractors that's a good point um because we definitely have done
1: that as well uh design stuff is is not our specialty so anything graphically related or photography or quite frankly even video sometimes like
0: it's not something that we're particularly good at so speaking of which, do you have any time in your schedule to do a like 3d model design kind of project? Um, maybe. Okay. We'll talk offline. I'm okay. You might but have something that or... I have been not able to get to forever. Okay. I mean, so. yeah. I mean, um,
1: I do some design stuff for all the time. I got this one guy from Florida that I've been doing some design work for. And, um, it's been dragging out a little bit longer than I had planned, but I'm hoping that we're getting towards the, the end of it. So that'll hopefully free me up for some more designed work. And then, um, there was a guy and I cannot remember, he, um, uh, he does Titan rings or titanium oh. rings is what he does. Okay. Um, but Titan rings, is that, I I think so. Um, I talked to him, um, a while ago on the phone for an hour or two, super nice guy, had an awesome conversation with him. Um, and he made this little fidget thing that like, it's, it's these circles that interconnect and you can twist them and it's like, they're constantly twisting in on themselves, but you can just do it for every forever. Yeah. And so I asked him about it and I'm totally stealing that design and i'm going to use it in the class i'm teaching at my local university Hmm. because the nice thing about the design is that you can grow the chain as long as you want so my plan is he did it with six pieces but i have eight students which is an even number okay (laughs) and so i'm gonna have them do it and then my plan is every semester that i teach it i want them all to do that project and i want that chain to grow over time and the nice thing about is it all twists and i want people to sign
0: their names and their years and kind of program all that in and kind of have it grow over time. Uh, could you give them some, some sort of ability to customize their segment? Yeah. yeah like with I an engraving or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, a texture, something like that.
1: I, I think I want them to have their name and their year for sure. And maybe even like the school logo, on one side, like their name, school logo, and here, like something kind of formal on one side. And then the other side, I want them to have free reign to put whatever they want on it within reason. Um, okay. And that way they can they can have their expression on one side and then kind of like their credentials on the other. Um, and that way it's kind of a, a, a something that's kind of his, kind of maintains the history of the students who have actually taken the class and can grow over time. So, okay. That's kind of, that's what I'm thinking. And then I can have my name in there and it'll be on the chain or off the chain, depending on if it was an odd or even year, kind of a, kind of a deal. (laughs) So.
0: Oh, do you have to have an even number of them?
1: Yeah, you do have to have an even number of them. Okay. And then it'll be something that they can leave because they have an area in the engineering building at this university for display, like a display case. And I want it to be in there uh, or on the table that people can actually fidget with and see, and they can kind of look at it. So yeah, they've already cool. they actually, I actually had some of the professors talk to me, um, at my last class period. I haven't had any of them ever stop by and actually like when I teach the class, it's late in the evening. So no other professor is there only my students. Yep. Um, cause you're the new guy <laughs> cause I'm the new guy and, <laughs> and which is okay for me because I'm working during the day. So it's not like I have any free time, any other time. Um, but I ran into a couple of the teachers whenever I was finishing up class the other day and uh, some of the other professors. And they said they've been talking about seeing if I would teach three classes next semester instead of the one Ooh. I'm teaching <laughs> this semester. So Would you do it? If I could find the time. That's the biggest thing. Um, yeah. I would I would love to do it. I, I have enjoyed teaching. Um, right now i don't really have like a course curriculum like it's all in my brain and it's i pretty much the day i show up in class i go okay what are we going to do today like i'm figuring it out on the spot with them more like i have a a grand plan but i don't have it all detailed out and i feel like if i'm going to get start teaching that many classes i need to be a little more proper and i need to yeah. have the time to actually invest a little bit more cuz as it is um I'm working 7.30 to 4.30. Um, Mondays, evenings is the podcast. Tuesday, Thursday evenings is the teaching of the class that I'm currently doing. Wednesday evenings is kind of my free evening that always gets filled up with something work-related or yep. <laughs> personal. And then Friday evenings is family time and, with my parents and my wife and other family members. And then my weekends... You know, I do a lot with the, with my local church, and they keep me hopping pretty much all Saturday. Sunday is really my only one free day, and I it hasn't been free. We have three weddings coming up in our church, and uh, next month, so all of my weekends for like at least a month are taken up. So I just don't have a lot of free time unless I start teaching the class from like nine o'clock to like midnight or something. <laughs> Yep, yeah,
0: I understand that. <laughs> I so I actually I want to get back and talk about you in a second here, but I I think I'm at the point now where I need to break the rest of my ties with my old day job. And like I don't know. It, it's I don't really want to because it's nice not having to dip money out of savings. Um but like I need that time. And you know, I, I'm looking at this number of carabiners going up going, I've got to make like four hundred of these things. And I don't even have the fixture designed yet. Yeah. Oh that we'll have to talk about that next time. I have <laughs> fixturing ideas. Anyway, and so it's like that i on like topic. I just need to to to, you know, get those three days a week back mm-hmm. or two and a half days a week. Um You know,
1: my advice in a situation like that would be you can always invest in yourself. And if you have the financial, um, preparation, which I know you do to be able to cut it cold turkey and go full time, then I would definitely encourage that because like, that's the whole reason I did what I did was, and you were in a better situation than I was, um, when i quit it, it was it was one or the other for me i couldn't do halves um one my the company i was working with prior wouldn't, wasn't interested in anything like that and mm-hmm. two um starting a business just it sucks every spare second you have and yeah if you're going to grow it to a point where it's going to sustain you, if you're just have your toes dipped in the water and you're not, you're not fully like if it's a side hustle, that's one thing. But if you're planning on growing it into a business, like unless you have a job that you can treat this as a side hustle and to the point where it's kind of what the story you've done, I think you've kind of done this. It was more of a side gig and then you've kind of grown Mm -hmm. it to a point where you're ready to make that jump. You're at that stage where you're looking over the edge and I and I think it's it's probably a good time for you to look down and go, okay, I've I've met all of my requirements and I'm ready to go. But it is a scary thing leaving your employer behind. And the only, you know, the biggest thing is is try not to close any door because you never know what's gonna happen later on down the road. Um, every every place I've ever worked, I've always tried to do everything I can when I'm leaving that I leave in good standing. Um, just because you, you'd never know what's going to happen and, and who you, the people you leave behind. Um, what's going to happen with that? Sorry, I went on a, yep. a, a little rant.
0: <laughs> I yeah, I, I'm with you. And, you know, I'm it's not like I didn't give them plenty of notice and then, you know, work with them part time for a couple of months. Um, I promised them, I think, up until Halloween. Though. <laughs> I did not say, you know, that I would stay on three days a week. I told him that I would slowly taper off to nothing. And so far, you know, I'm halfway through and I've done no tapering. Yeah. So I'll probably talk taper. Yeah. um... Maybe, maybe like one day in the office and two days remote for the rest of September. And then, you know, one day remote, one day in the office or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just need to to do that. Yeah. You you um, do like
1: You need you need to start pulling back some more. You're starting to get a lot a lot busier, which I'm excited for for you. That's a it's a big step. So Um yep. <laughs> yeah. Did I interrupt you cuz you said you were going to ask me something, I think? Yeah. So, when are you going to hire somebody? Man, that is a tough question. If I knew I was having consistent work, I, I've i had a handful of people that have approached me and asked me if I was hiring. And then the other day, I had a student who I was teaching. He goes, do you do internships? And I was like, If I did internships right now, they would be unpaid. And if you're still interested, maybe we can talk. And it sounded like he still might be interested. So um, my plans going forward are depending on how our growth goes as a company. If it continues to pick up the pace like it has been in the last month or two, um, I could foresee us in a year from now maybe having someone or at the very least at the end of of next semester, bringing on an intern or two to kind of go through the trial run of hiring someone without actually having to make that heavy of a commitment. And um, there's honestly one or two students in my class that if I could find a way to capture them um, and after they graduate, I would be very interested in that because they're, they're the type of individuals that they like machining. They have an interest in it and um and they're quite talented and so um i think i could be interested in that um versus i've and you know i've i've always loved the idea of hiring friends of family for the business it's just finding positions and having you know the funds to be able to do something like that cuz right now
0: i'm not even paying myself so <laughs> yeah <laughs> bring anyone else on <laughs> Well, unless they're producing more money. Like, yeah, you true, you weren't true. paying yourself when you bought that Haas either. But, like, no, you're no, you committed to putting out X number of dollars every month, you know, indefinitely. True. Well, not indefinitely, never mind. With a very definite contract. Yes. Um, yes. But with the understanding that it would immediately turn around and give you profit. Yes. Which, um,
1: yeah, which we had our first 10 figure week a couple of months mm-hmm. ago. And I, I think we're getting close to having a, a second one of those. So, um, which would be awesome, but it's just, it's getting that consistently that that's, that's the, the hardest part. Cause, uh, in between those two massive spikes, there has been, uh, significantly less per week <laughs> for that space in between, um, you know, if we're if we're batting over a thousand um we're doing pretty good for some of those weeks in between so but it is what it is. It's the struggles of starting a business it's feast or famine we go through phases but the good news is is with all these different revenue streams that we have coming in right now, I think we're gonna start seeing at least a baseline that we can count on um, okay that's good. And so that's that's I think we're getting to the point where I we might actually see like a baseline like okay I can I know we're going to do at least x amount of dollars per week. We might have spikes or or maybe a little bit of a drought but at least a rough average um which I'm getting really excited about. So well
0: and that's where like the profit first stuff comes in where you know you put x percent aside for employee comp mm-hmm. and when you have those spikes, you get a little bit more. When you're low, you may have to dip out of that. And yeah,
1: yeah, and and we've been working on that. Um, I think we're gonna. We've been buying so much new equipment for the last year that like any drop of extra cash that we've had has pretty much vanished um, as soon as it appears. Um, yeah, and I think we're. I say this every time we seem to get cash in our pockets that. new new tools and things show up. But on the flip side, every time we've done that, we've gained more capabilities and we can take on more types of work. So it's, it's definitely a balancing act. Um, Like the, the rush job that we were just working on today. If we had the Royal call system in a part puller, I could have easily set that up and let it run a bar. Even though, even though it was like a three foot bar, you know, that could run for 30 minutes to an hour unattended. And I could just let it run through, and that would free up so much of my time and my other partner's time that we wouldn't need another person if we had that. And that's a lot cheaper than than buying an employee.
0: <laughs> so, i I am very much looking forward to running these carabiners. And like, you know, with a pallet set up, I should get at least an hour, maybe seventy minutes of unattended runtime each. Um, mm-hmm. And granted, while I have two pallets that I haven't machined, but I'll be able to swap those out. So like, I'll be unloading one. So, you know, I'm getting 60, 50 minutes or so of time in between where like, I'm just there and the machine is just running. And like, I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to that time. Like, I feel like that'll be like, that that is for my brain setting me up for productivity. Yeah. And
1: the advantage of, of me and having a partner is that like, there'll be times when, when we have big late jobs where we'll take turns running the machine. And so the times when you're not running the machine, you can get some real work done outside of it. And so it, like, imagine like we can imagine that just with the addition of we're both free now, not one of us is having to focus on the machine. So those free times that we have are just going to be longer. And it's going to give us opportunities to work on other areas of the business while the machine's running. And I think we actually might've got on that note slightly, we might've gotten our first repeat work customer um, for this rush job that we're doing because I know what the component is. And I know that they, the reason they're rushing it is because they need a hundred of them for an item that they produce and it's a consumable. So it's something that they're going to use consistently Mm -hmm. over time. And they told me on the phone the other day that we're their preferred vendor, which I have no idea how that happened, but I am totally down for. And so I'm excited because I don't know how often they go through this component, but if we become their preferred vendor and it could become our first repeat order from a customer, not overflow from another shop. So I'm excited about that.
0: I I read some book and I'm kind of just vaguely like getting flashes of it in my head right now. But they were talking about like it may have been like built to sell. Were they talking about like the value of a business? Mm hmm. And the most valuable type of business that you can have, or the most valuable type of customer, is one where you're selling them consumables. Yeah, because um, they just have to keep coming back to you, and like mm-hmm. you, you know, the lifetime value of a customer is very high.
1: Which is which is why we live in the disposable product age that we live in right now. Yes, it is. <laughs> which is, you know, that's it. There's there's good sides and bad sides to that for sure. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I remember reading or I don't know if I, no, I wasn't reading. I, I watched a video on the, uh, have you heard of the light bulb oligarchy? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that whole thing is actually legit in the fact that they've designed light bulbs to only last a certain amount of hours just so they can sell more light bulbs. Like there's no other reason why they burn out other than, you know, we have the technology that they could last a lot longer than they do. But if they did, then the light bulb companies feel like they would go out, which ironically go out. But, <laughs> but um, so they, you know, they, they make them to where they go out sooner. You know, they don't last as long. And and that's particularly annoying when you buy like these LED light bulbs and they're supposed to last for like so many hours. But it feels like none of them ever do make it to their claimed rating ever. um, And that's very frustrating. But they, I'm I'm sure that's a design feature that they put in there, um, for the, for the purpose of having them burn out. And honestly, I think it would be fun to find a light bulb that's an LED light bulb that's burned out and figured out what actually
0: went wrong. Mm. It's
1: think, always the
0: electronics. It's never the LED itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that would be that'd be fun sleuthing to like go in there, See, like. I could see it having like an IC timer where like a random value amount of just time pops. just pop. Mm-hmm. Like that would be an interesting, I wonder if anyone's done that. That would be probably, fun. that'd be fun to look into. Anyways. Do you
0: watch, uh, do you watch any Mark Rober YouTube videos? Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Did you watch his most recent one about arcade games? I saw it. I haven't watched that one. Okay. Well, one of the things he mentions is that some arcade games will literally let you program in the percentage chance of somebody winning. So it's like it like it looks like a game of skill, but then it's like, oh, yeah, but also there's only a 0.2% chance of you winning, even if you get it perfect. Like,
1: So he did an arcade one um, several years ago where he put a backpack and he put a plunger and he yes. had that one that was going in a circle and he had like a little thing that would detect the light. And he was within 0.2. or he was within like two milliseconds of when the light would shine to when his plunger was, was hitting it and he was hitting on the right or the left. And so like he proved with that, that like it is not a matter of skill. It is all a matter of luck combined with a little bit of skill, but
0: so i i'm I'm getting the idea that you're about done i'm about i done.
1: I'm getting pretty close. We've been going on for almost two hours, and uh I've honestly had like late nights all night for the, like yeah. four nights, even though that's well, I'm just gonna really throw expensive. this
0: little <laughs> i'm I'm gonna throw this little teaser out here before we wrap up. oh no, I found what. I think is the coolest fixturing system I have ever seen.
1: You teased this a little bit at IMTS. I, I was yeah. going to ask
0: you about that tonight, but we'll save it for next I'll tell time. you about it. I'm not going to tell the podcast about it. They'll have to okay. come back next year. Or next year? Wow. <laughs> next episode. I'm tired. Apparently,
1: I'm so. not the only one getting tired.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> IMTS took a lot out of me.
1: <laughs> I I can understand that. Also, so. it's an hour later for me. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I don't know how you stay up this late because I'm getting tired and it's nine o'clock here. So that means it's about 10 o'clock there. Yeah.
0: So. All right, man. Well, um, huh? So the answer is just, I'm always tired. You're always, t- yeah. instead <laughs> yeah. of always angry, you're always tired. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. No, I think we'll, we'll call it, I guess. Um, for all those that have been listening so far, we appreciate you hanging on to us, Yammer On, for almost two hours this evening. But uh, thanks for listening in, and we'll we'll talk to you guys next time. This is uh, Harrison with uh, not the Design of Everything, but with <laughs> Precision Ingenuity. And then I'm with AJ here with the Design of the Everything. And I guess we're signing out.
0: Bye. You should have stopped while you were ahead. I know. <laughs> I I, I.